Hi, everybody. My name is Mark Graben. I am the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services at Kinexus. Thanks for being here today. Hello, I'm Greg Jacobson. I am the CEO and co-founder of Kinexus. Looking forward to the next half hour. Yeah. So this is the fourth episode that we've done here in our Ask Us Anything series. You can find these on our Kinexus YouTube channel. And uh, you can see those recordings. And we're going to keep doing more of these probably about once a month because we've had so many questions come in. We are having trouble uh, working down that backlog. So we answer some questions. We get more questions. I guess that's good. We'll keep, we'll keep doing these. So we're going to start right off. I had a couple of people ask uh, about something I blogged about this week. So I've already sort of had my say. But there was an article published, an opinion piece in the New England Journal of Medicine taught, uh, by two doctors. It was titled... Uh, medical Taylorism. Um, I, you can read my comments at leanblog.org slash N-E-J-M for New England Journal of Medicine. But Greg, you know, the, the doctors are saying, among other things, and this is why I want to hear your reactions, that, you know, they, they complain about doctors being followed with stopwatches, having, you know, appointment times being measured, they're feeling pressured, um, that they think they're equating lean to not having enough time with their patients, that you can't standardize things in medicine and that it's leading to burnout. So they paint a pretty negative picture about either what they think lean is or what they've experienced. Greg, you have a different set of experiences. I mean, what was your reaction to their piece as a physician? Yeah, I mean, my first reaction is, is I think it's an unfortunate article that got published because I think that there are some fundamental misunderstandings of, of what's going on when we're talking about lean. So as a little bit of a background, I don't think you can quite understand the article unless you, you do have that background. So as many of you know, I'm still an actively practicing ER doctor. I'm still doing four, about four shifts a month. And uh, there haven't even been changes. And, and the, I've now been practicing for about 15 years. And you know, I can see palpable changes in, in the last 15 years on, on the different pressures um, that are coming down the pipeline. One of the, the things that that I think has happened that's created these kind of, I would, I mean, disgruntled workers is the best way I can describe them. I mean, they're knowledge workers and they're articulate and they, they had a soapbox um, of the new England journal, but at the end of the day, these are just disgruntled workers. Um, they, they, they're obviously working in a system that isn't practicing, you know, lean. So for one, there's a whole bunch of changes that are occurring in their workplace and they aren't at the improvement table. Right. And, and that is a fundamental um, disconnect from anyone that's practicing lean. The, one of the very first principles is respect and respect for the employee. And if you therefore have respect for the employee, you are going to bring them to the, to the table. Um, so so I think what, what we're what we're seeing here is we're seeing um, probably a change management malfunction. And that is manifesting itself in um, in intellectualization exercise that is then blaming it on a, a, a topic that there's a clear fundamental misunderstanding because at the end of the day, and, and, and as you said in your article, what's the alternative, right? Um, lean is essentially improvement science. I don't care if you call it, you can call it lean, you can call it Kaizen, you can, whatever you call it, to me that it's just improvement science. And so um, that fundamental concept is is how do you provide value right and then then well who are we providing value for for the patient and so 
If you are saying that you're doing an activity that's providing less value for the patient, well, then you're not doing that activity well. Right. It's, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. So to me, I think the, the, my first outcome is it's, a, it's just a simple, unfortunate event that that article got published because I think a lot of people that are misinformed or not even misinformed, that just don't have any um, knowledge of it are, are skimming through the New England Journal and going, oh, so if I hear these words, I, I, you know, I need to kind of conclude them when, when it's, um, in my mind, the exact opposite of what needs to be happening. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell what is happening there because, you know, in the comment section there in the journal, a lot of physicians have kind of stepped up forward and said, hey, you know, this is not what we're experiencing. Lean is something very positive that we are participating in. I don't know what's happening there if these particular doctors are not being engaged personally and they're hearing things secondhand and writing about it. We don't know if somewhere in their realm that there's something bad happening, that bad in terms of, you know, something being portrayed as lean that isn't really in, isn't really lean. If they're not being engaged in the, that practice of improvement science, it's not really lean if it's being done to them. I would understand why they're reacting that way. But, you know, even to the topic of stopwatches, you know, there, there's an old, you know, kind of the old standard Taylorist approach to industrial engineering, stereotypically, is an engineer standing over others with the stopwatch and the clipboard and telling other people how to do their work better. That's not modern lean. And I've been involved in settings, whether it was nurses or doctors. Yeah, we've, we've, had, stop, we've had stopwatches. But the intent was peers observing peers, not an engineer or an expert doing it. And the intent was not to squeeze the amount of time doctors had with the patient. The stopwatch was useful to help understand what's interrupting patient encounters. How many times is the doctor having to go in and out of that exam room and why? Because let's say there aren't good systems for supplies. We're trying to identify waste and trying to create more time for doctors and nurses to spend with the patients, which is a recipe for less burnout. And when we can standardize things that help the doctors, I think that's different. I've never been involved in a lean effort where we were pressuring the doctors to change that moment of uh, clinical interaction with the patient. We were trying to be of service to the doctors so that they could do what they feel like they need to do. Right, and, and just take a, let's just take a look at the stopwatch example. One, if a physician is feeling like something is being timed because it's, it's making, they're interpreting it as saying, oh, I, you need to go faster through your work, then, then naturally the other reason why you would measure something is just to figure out how long it takes, mm -hmm. right? And if an average interaction, let's say, takes 18 minutes, and things are being booked at 15-minute intervals, mm -hmm. there's a fundamental process issue. Right. And, and then you need to ask yourself, well, if this interaction takes 18 minutes, is the entire 18 minutes value-add? And if the entire 18 minutes is value-add, then there's no question that you shouldn't be blocking 15 minutes for a meeting. Right? And in fact, maybe through the study of what you're doing, you actually learn that ideally – the optimal time is we, we could actually be adding value for 21 minutes. Mm -hmm. yep. so, so maybe that's what you end up learning um, from that practice. But it, it's, it's improvement science, and it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, physicians at our core, we are scientists. And for them to be interpreting, trying to do what we're doing better, 
as um, anything other than uh, trying to be better physicians is a, it's just, a, I don't know how to say it. It's just an, it's an unfortunate article. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of the unfortunate circumstance could be the doctors not being invited to participate in the improvement of their own work, which I would understand them being upset. What I take issue with is them painting with a very broad brush and saying, this is lean, therefore lean is bad. Um, right. I think that's where it's um, really open for a lot of debate and discussion. So, all right, well, let's move on to some other topics around improvement science and, and continuous improvement. There was a question came in, um, what's the difference between Kaizen and a Kaizen Blitz? So maybe let me address this first. You know, Kaizen is a Japanese word um, near and dear to my heart. It basically just means continuous improvement or good change. I think of Kaizen, my first thought is lots and lots of small improvements identified or driven by staff in the workplace as part of what you might call daily continuous improvement. A Kaizen Blitz is something that was introduced um, into the U.S. either the late 80s or the early 90s by Japanese consultants who said, we want to demonstrate how Kaizen is done. So they chose big problems and scheduled a week, and they're doing a blitz that was meant to demonstrate how Kaizen is done. That's my understanding of how Toyota very rarely uses a, a Kaizen event that might take four or five days, and that when they do so, they're trying to teach people Kaizen or PDSA. Um, they're, they're teaching them to go back to the workplace and keep doing improvements. I think where organizations have gotten sidetracked is saying, okay, Kaizen Blitz equals Kaizen. All Kaizen must be a scheduled, formal, week-long project, and I, and I think that that misses the point. Greg, you have experience with this, right? Yeah, I... Funny, I hadn't heard the term Kaizen Blitz in a long time, but in well, I was researching for the paper I put out in the um, in Academic Orange and Medicine, probably in 07. It was really interesting to take a look at the medical literature and to see who was really doing what we now refer to commonly as this daily continuous improvement, but um, you know, is oftentimes referred to as, as Kaizen. And... Uh, what was so interesting is all of the times in the literature when you were looking at people doing continuous improvement, it was done in these very episodic ways. And so um, there was you know, a fundamental disconnect between uh, what people thought continuous improvement was and, and what it actually is. And I think that it's unfortunate that, that, that probably carried on a little bit too long. It would have been great had people have picked this up, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I think people are starting to recognize that you can't do episodic improvement and, and really develop culture change. It'd be like saying, well, I'm going to work out, you know, one week out of every quarter and, and hope that I, I'm going to have a, a healthy lifestyle. But um, it, it is what happens when you're in a, in a consulting situation. Um, I, I had a really fundamental disconnect because when I read Mizaki in my book, he never mentions anything that would even remotely look like a blitz. And then when I looked in the medical literature for examples of people doing this, all I found were episodic improvement. And, um, and so that was the, uh, the interesting disconnect. So to me, I think that, uh, that, that they are fundamentally, they have the same word, they're fundamentally very different. Um, if you take a look at a sliver of five minutes of each one, they probably look very, very similar. I think 
probably introducing um, Kaizen in Kaizen Blitzes is probably going to do more harm than good to an organization. Um, and I would probably recommend just changing the term. If you're going to do a Kaizen Blitz or an activity that is like that, just call it a rapid improvement event or just don't. I would recommend not using the word Kaizen in that. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I make that same recommendation, rapid improvement event. I think, you know, calling it an event episodic improvement is a good term. And I think there's a time and a place for both. You can do episodic improvement. Sometimes a problem is big enough and systemic enough and complicated enough, you can grab a team and, and, and spend a week on the problem. But that can't be the only mode for improvement. Um, there's also got to be continuous improvement to address the small stuff. And we say I think the best lean hospitals have learned that. Virginia Mason Medical Center, Care, and others are maybe more well-known for their events, but they're also doing lots and lots of daily um, Kaizen. Yeah, and I, I think it's, you can't, I don't think you can, you can say you have a great improvement culture without doing kind of top-down and bottom-up. To me, it's a, it's a percentage of higher giving effort. If you're giving 90% top-down and 10% bottom-up, I, I think you're doing some fundamental you know, mistakes if you yeah. work out. It'd be like saying, well, I'm only going to work on my biceps and I'm not going to work on any other part of my body. But, right. um, but what, we, what I think that the focus here is because – Quite frankly, daily improvement isn't going to fix some things. I mean, it just won't. There's something or just need a total redesign. You need people in a room that all have the understanding of the process, and you need to go through that very, very rapidly. But I, I think it's just the focus. You're going to see yeah. more. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I, I lost my train of thought. So we'll move on to another question. Right. Um, how do you get leadership to understand lean beyond the tools to get them to respect? To, to understand the idea of respect for people and the culture side of lean. Oh, so so let me let me go back and then kind of transition to this question. So I'll double down on your comment and say if you're not doing daily continuous improvement, you can't call what you're doing lean because lean, in terms of the Toyota Way management system, Toyota Way uh, system has two pillars: continuous improvement and respect for people. Um, so I would say the Toyota Way and lean are, are synonymous. That's debatable. Some people would argue that, but you know, I, I would say you know, if, if organizations would say we're doing, we've been doing lean for five years, and now we're going to be doing kaizen. I'd say, well, yeah. maybe what you've been doing before was helpful, but it was probably episodic improvement, and projects are not equal lean. Then there's the respect for people piece. How do you get leaders to understand that? It's hard to get people to understand that some of the things they're doing are disrespectful. If you think of situations, um, and so I think trying to get people to understand the problem that inspires them to learn about Toyota and a lean culture and say, well, yeah, we do need to focus. We need to understand better and practice more respect for people. I would say back to the New England Journal of Medicine article, if hospital executives or clinic manager is just hounding and pressuring doctors to work harder, that that's not lean, that's not good improvement, that's not respectful of those people. But a lot of times managers feel like, well, that's my job is to hound them to work faster. There's this really there becomes a disconnect that's hard to get through, right? Greg, what do you, what do you, I mean, what, what are some of your thoughts on situations like that? Or how do you get people to understand they, they need to be or can be more respectful? Well, I think it's a matter of motivation. And so I think if leaders are motivated by certain goals that they have, and so if you frame 
what you're talking about, not in your terminology, which is kind of the process improvement world, but figure out what is the terminology of a leader and what are they trying to accomplish this week, this month, this year, this five years. And then, and then you simply say, well, great. Um, let's go do that. And, and you happen to bring what we refer to as lean tools in order to do that. They're never going to even realize it. Right. It's, it's, it's almost as if you, if you're going to someone and someone wants to build a house, right? If, if you go to that person and you start talking about, you know, screws and two by fours and um, what's the material for the floor, they're going to, they're going to be immediately disconnected from the conversation because they, they just want a house. But if you go to that person and say, well, tell me about how you live and, you know, what, how do you envision a house and what, what are the kind of rooms that you spend time in, then all of a sudden they're going to be engaged in that. And then you're going to slowly be backtracking in the lean tools, if you will, to get to, this is exactly what this room is going to look like. We're going to put a plug here. We're going to put a door here, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, it's really a matter of using the language of the person that you're talking to. Yeah, and I think you, part of that language, and I want to come back to the topic of, of goals in a minute, but part of that language is what organizations would often describe as their mission, vision, and values. And you can talk about, you know, I see organizations with values that are stated that sound good. We will have everyone participate in continuous improvement. We always put the patient first. I think it's interesting to do some gap analysis and ask people, hey, are we, is the organization really living up to the stated values? If not, why? What's getting in the way of that? Are we living up to the standard of respect that we are maybe articulating? I, I think you can start with understanding you know, where are some of the shortfalls, how can we be more respectful? How can we better meet our values? Um, there's a, maybe, let me roll into a different question here. They maybe ties to goals uh, from Timothy. How can you get reluctant managers to actually step up and manage in a time of evolving service demand and labor variability. So we might look at some of those goals. You know, we have to, we have more customers to serve, more patients to see. Maybe we have shortages of, of staff. And, you know, managers might say, okay, well, my goals are solving those problems. I, I was having a conversation this morning with somebody who said, you know, they, they were a bit frustrated. Their executive said, we don't have time um, to get people involved in continuous improvement as leaders. Leaders don't have time to focus on that because we're trying to accomplish this and this and this and that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you're trying to improve the patient experience and reduce cost, continuous improvement is a means to that end. So it's, it's kind of funny that people would say, I don't have time to do the things that would help me accomplish these goals that I'm busy chasing after. It, it's, it, it's, it's kind of illogical, but people get in this trap. They're chasing results and not focusing on how to get there, right? Right, right. And it's a, fundamentally, I like to think of things and kind of break them down into the kind of human emotion. A lot of it has to do with security and insecurities. And you know, leaders that are really secure in, in who they are and how they're, they're leading um, are, are going to recognize that the expert that's going to figure out how to accomplish the goal they want isn't themselves. It's all the people that they're leading. And so they, they need to, they need to be really secure in the fact that you know, they're going to be a great leader by actually giving you know, the power to make what happens need to happen to the individual employee. 
I, I'm actually reading um, Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last book now. There's been a lot of conversation here internally at Kinexus and with, with folks that we've been talking to about it. What is so interesting is that no one told me, this is such a great book because it gets into biology, Greg, and you love biology, and they're going to talk about you know, about serotonin and dopamine and um, oxytocin and, and cortisol, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just that. This is it's, it's actually a, a brilliant read, but at the end of the day, the, at the end of the day, it's a it's a read that is going to um, understanding those fundamentals. I think is going to create a leader that's going to embrace, and I'm just going to call it improvement science. That's going to embrace improvement science at a at a level. Uh, a much higher level than someone who is kind of sitting in a very insecure position and, and interprets their role as doing everything versus enabling everyone else to do everything. Yeah, and I think, you know, if we ask, if, if we were going to ask why are employees not stepping up, we'd say, well, why are their managers not engaging them? Why are managers not stepping up? Well, managers have directors and VPs they report to, and those directors and VPs need to emphasize the importance of improvement and help them understand kind of building on what you're saying. If your employees are solving problems, that's a positive reflection on you as a leader. You're being a facilitator. I don't expect you, the manager, to have all of the ideas and take all of the action. I think some people get stuck in the cycle where they feel like if they're not doing it themselves, they've, they're failing their employees. I would look at it very differently and say, if you're not engaging your employees, you're failing them. In the and, and you're not accomplishing the goals that the organization is gonna to need to address. I think a great metric to look at that will allow you to look at yourself in the mirror is your turnover. Mm-hmm. You know, do you, there, is there high turnover in the people that you're leading? And, and if there is, you need to sort, and, and that may not be because you're a bad leader, but I'll bet that, that that's going to be contributing. If you, if you looked at a hundred leaders that have really high turnover, sure, there's going to be some industry issues and there's going to be some external factors that are just going to be beyond their control. But the one factor that they can't control is, is how good they're being as a leader because people that are being led in a really strong and um, caring and meaningful way want to work there because people intrinsically want to feel like they're contributing to something you know um, meaningful and greater. And so just take just a reflection point. Yeah. And you know, we have a comment here from uh, Mark Mackin who says, you know, organizational health, cultural alignment are foundational to sustain change. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the health of the organization, I think, can be gauged. I think voluntary turnover is one gauge. The number of improvement ideas being implemented, being brought forward and implemented, I think, is a good sign of organizational health. And I think when you have good leadership, you, you not only have alignment around behaviors. What are our values? How do we behave around here? Um, and alignment around goals. What are we trying to accomplish? I think you know, in great lean organizations, you have good alignment, top to bottom, department to department, about what we're trying to accomplish and how we go about accomplishing it. I'm, I'm reading. I'm- Little glitches here, um, so maybe here I'm going to unlock this. So Greg, Greg, call back in. Okay. This is labeled as <laughs> Blab is labeled as a beta, so sometimes beta e things will happen. But uh, Greg, welcome back. You were saying I'm auditing a 
class at Stanford right now that was put as a podcast series called How to Start a Startup. Um, I'm doing it for obvious reasons, but they actually have an entire lecture on culture. And, and I wish I could credit the exact person, but it's, it's lecture number 10. And someone says a really insightful statement that culture is a way to, um, like, what's the word he used? Culture is a way to deal with the issue of needing to increase your bandwidth, right? So if you have just one person in a company or just five people in a company, it's really easy to have a culture because you can touch every single person. How do you, how do you, how do you get a company to go from five people to 500 people? Well, you're never going to be able to interact with all 500 people, right? So you can't help people make those decisions. So by, by developing the right culture, you are going to help the bandwidth issue. And I think that speaks to, to the comment here that organizational health, cultural alignment are a foundational to sustained change. And, and we know that sustained change essentially is just making sure that you're constantly meeting the right value of your customer because, you know, your customers constantly, what they need is going to change. I mean, a car from 1950 does not look like a car from, you know, 2015, so 2016 now. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's a, a really an insightful comment from, from the person listening yeah. in. So we have another question here from Robert. It said, you know, assessing the readiness and willingness of an organization at an individual and team level um, is, is important before initiating a continuous improvement program. Um, are there any suggested ways of identifying strengths and things to work on and demonstrate movement of an organization further in the process? So um, if I'm understanding the, the question correctly, two things come to mind. You know, like say, is an organization ready for Kaizen? I think one, an organization or a leader or a team is ready for Kaizen when they say they are ready for Kaizen. This can be just as much a self-fulfilling prophecy as the negative is where we're not ready for Kaizen. Well, if that's your attitude, then you're not ready. But I think beyond a willingness to um, act in kaizen sort of ways, I think people do need to have some semblance of time. We need to be able to create time. And if an organization is just so unfairly overburdened with work, if they can't get their regular work done, there's no time to improve the work. And I think that's uh, often a challenge for organizations that are starting off. And, and I, I want that for people to be a challenge, not an excuse. We don't have time. Well, we, we need to try to figure out how to make time. And, and that can be difficult, but you've got to to get the ball rolling. First of all, um, love, it, love the usage of the term Kaizeni. Kaizeni. People won't understand what that means. Sorry. I don't know if I heard you say that before. So I'm just saying it was first said now on January 20th, 2016, in our lab session, Kaizeni, brilliant. Um, I, I think the connection is going to be to, first of all, I think you need to look at the leader and when you're trying to figure this out. But I think if the, and Mark said it earlier, if the leader understands the direct correlation between how they're going to achieve their goals and the fact that in order to do that is going to take doing improvement science or doing lean. And in order to do that, it's going to take getting everyone in the organization involved. If they understand those, I think they just need to understand it intellectually. If they can articulate and, and emotionally say that I understand this intellectual connection, then I think they're ready. Right. Because if you do fundamentally believe that, then the next natural thing that you would 
conclude is I am ready to spend resources to do this. And one of the main resources that you're going to have to spend is time. Time, right. So um, I think they're all completely interconnected. And I think you can probably figure that out by looking at the leader of the group or of the organization, whatever area you're trying to, to implement continuous improvement, implement lean, implement improvement science, and then figure out has that connection been established at that leader level? And if it has moved forward, if it hasn't attempted to make those, you know, A equals B, B equals C, therefore we should do this. Yeah. Okay. So um, another question from uh, Sunil, how do we keep employees motivated for improvement projects? Or I, I would say more generally improvement work. You know, my first thought is, you know, I think imp- uh, one, once we help people get the ball rolling, we ask them to participate in improvement. We ask them to bring forward problems and ideas and opportunities for improvement. When we help people implement things, and then when we recognize what they've done, we don't even need to talk about rewards, giving people recognition, thanking them, helping them understand the impact of what they've done in not just financial terms, but in other ways. That right there starts a very... Uh, uh, you know, system dynamics, um, we would call this a reinforcement loop. You do improvement, you get recognition, you feel good about the improvement and the recognition, you're going to want to do more improvement. I, mean, I think that's the key. It's not about setting quotas and targets and saying you must do four per year. You have to create an environment where people want to and, and continue that motivation. I, I want to just add to that because I think Mark's answer is, is just simply spot on. The, the only two things I'm going to add to that, which I, I think um, just uh, give more texture to that is make sure it's easy because if it's difficult to engage and to do it, no one's going to want to do it and make sure the cycle times are quick. So if you're, if you're asking them to bite off an improvement project that's going to take six months to do their motivation for doing that is going to drop. So really try to scale back the improvement into the absolute smallest unit of work that will create some sort of benefit because if you can get that habit loop going and the habit loop requires the benefit, then it's going to self-perpetuate. Yeah. Great. Um, so I think we'll go a few minutes longer than the originally advertised 30 minutes. Um, we got lots of questions here. It was a question, Greg, um, it's probably just a, a fairly tactical, quick, short answer. Philip asked, how many organizations use Kinexus and how many are hospitals? Yeah, so we have about 35 to 40 customers now and about 75 70 to 75% of them are hospitals. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit when you say about, we always say we have new customers coming on board and they're in some process along the way. But yeah, you know, Greg's an ER doc. This was, you know, the thing that was interesting to me is that, you know, not to get too sidetracked on this, I said a quick answer to this, but Greg's an ER doc. I'm an engineer. Um, I, I believe in Kaizen. I've seen how powerful it is in different settings. You know, Greg started off creating a tool for hospitals and, or maybe you knew from the beginning that this was a tool for people, you know, it's a tool for organizations, right? Yeah. No, I, I wish I could say that. Yeah. Right from the beginning, we, we saw it all, but um, no, it was literally try, simply trying to solve the problem of how do I teach my residents some sort of formal improvement system that they can take into their future practices. And um, in medicine, you, we have a fundamental belief that adult learners and the way you learn medicine is by doing and so it only made sense to start engaging our residents in actually improving the system. And um, I had leadership buy-in, and, and I went off and, and realized very quickly that in order to do this, we were going to need some sort of 
way to capture the information, to manage the information. And so I literally was just initially trying to solve the problem for us in the emergency department. Pretty quickly, we realized, hey, there's nothing out there in the marketplace. We're going to have to build something. And then pretty quickly, we realized, wow, this won't just work for residents. This will work for nurses. And then this won't work for emergency departments. This will work for other departments. And then it became clear, well, wait a minute, I learned about all this stuff out of manufacturing and and automotive principles, but it's applying in healthcare. And then people reached out to us from non-healthcare arenas and said, hey, why are you only talking about healthcare? So it was only really in 2013 that we kind of ripped out all the healthcare references from the product and and made it where you could could configure all that for whatever industry you were in. So, um, but I'd love to say I had a grand plan to begin with. Yeah. But hey, in the spirit of plan, do study, adjust, you were planning, you were doing, you learned, and now, you know, the, the company has um, adjusted and, and has something for people. What I, everywhere. what I think is so great it, with us and what's so rewarding to work with our customers is our customers tell us, you guys actually practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. And we, we internally, you'll hear us say oftentimes when we're thinking about the product, um, well, we'll just we're not building this product for us. We're building it for our customers. So we're just going to release this feature in this way and then go get feedback. And our, our customers love that, that um, they're constantly seeing the feedback they give us find its way into the product. And you know what? It means that they end up using the product more and creating more value um, to their company by using it. So right. why would we not want to listen to the customer? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, I'm going to combine a question that was already here and a question that just came in uh, from Tommy. Here's the beauty of doing something live. So Tuan had asked in advance, how do you overcome hurdles that healthcare presents versus manufacturing? Tommy is asking, are you seeing more hospitals embracing lean these days? And I, and I, think, these are, I think these are sort of related questions. Um, I think I, you know, I think about, you know, I, I worked 10 years in manufacturing and now I've been in healthcare for just over 10 I think healthcare has huge advantages. One being the mission and purpose of the organization is to serve others. The intrinsic motivation is incredibly high. And with Lean, with Kaizen, with continuous improvement, we can harness that energy. We can tap into that intrinsic motivation. And that's incredibly powerful. Where I think a lot of times in manufacturing, people view what they do as just a job. I think the great manufacturing companies have a sense of purpose and alignment with what, what people are doing. I think a challenge in healthcare, I think one of the challenges as more hospitals are embracing lean to your question, Tommy, one of the challenges is that I think hospitals tend to just, as much as I can generalize, have not focused so much on um, operations management, operations improvement. Um, and so to, you know, there, there's often, I think in manufacturing, there might be a lot of waste, but there's a better foundation of people focusing on operations and the importance of operations, where I think in healthcare, a lot of times organizations have relied on throwing a lot of smart people into uh, a room and, um, and they'll figure things out. And so I think that's one of the challenges we have in healthcare. One of the challenges we have here is that Greg has dropped. So I'm going to see if Greg can dial back in. But, you know, back, Tommy, to your, the other part of your question, yes, more and more hospitals are embracing lean. I think the, the key question is what do we mean by embracing 
Um, we see everything from kind of you know superficial use of some lean tools um, to the other end of the spectrum where organizations are really trying to change their culture and their management system. So um, almost to the point of being a problem, lean has become trendy in healthcare. And I've always said, doing lean, implementing lean, practicing lean because other people are doing it is the worst reason um, to do this, considering the amount of um, work and effort um, it, that, that there is involved. So um, Greg is, is, the system is not letting Greg back in. So since this is um, Ask Us Anything um, with this glitch, I think I'm gonna go ahead and end today's Blab session would certainly invite you to look at the other recordings. If you go to our Kinexus YouTube channel, just search YouTube for Kinexus, ask us anything. You can find the playlist. You can also go to, uh, to my site, leanblog.org slash AUA for ask us anything. You can see those and, and hopefully you'll learn about future um, sessions like this. They are all recorded. They are available um, online. So. With that, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, on behalf of Greg, I'll say thank you for both of us and everybody here at Kinexus. I'm gonna stop recording now and, and we'll see you, we'll see you soon.